Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello, today I want to talk about the awakened heart, the awakened heart. And I'm going to read to you a quote from the 37 Practices of a Bodhisattva, and I'm going to read it to you now. And I quote, all suffering without exception comes from wanting to find happiness for oneself. Perfect enlightenment comes from wanting to find happiness for others. I'm going to read that again. All suffering without exception comes from wanting to find happiness for oneself. Perfect enlightenment comes from wanting to find happiness for others, end quote. So that message is that we get more out of helping others than we get out of helping ourselves. Is that true? I don't know. But I do know this. Obsessing with our own desires and wishes does not make us happy. We get we cling to all the things we wish we had, whether that be the attention of someone or wealth or objects or careers, whatever. We obsess with the things we don't have, and that doesn't make us happy. And I think there's really no end to that. So even if you think you're accomplishing all of your goals and getting everything you want, there's always another thing around the corner to chase after. Always, always, always. And that chasing, that rat race to get more and more makes us unhappy. Makes us unhappy. So uh, in the book, The Power of Mind, Kendra Lodrote says, The root of all suffering is our intense clinging to the idea of our identity, what we call the self, and the extreme attachment to that self. What we call selfishness which leads to afflictive thoughts and emotions. The root of all happiness is the wish to benefit others. This motivation, which is focused on the welfare of others and the pursuit of ultimate freedom, is what we call bodhicitta. Uh, bodhicitta is a Sanskrit word. It means the mind of awakening. The mind of awakening. Okay, It's our positive virtuous true nature or rather our positive virtuous true nature our buddha nature manifests bodhicitta and cultivating bodhicitta is the tool we use on this journey more on that later but the point is that we have this attachment to ourselves and we obsess about our selfishness we obsess about our desires and it doesn't serve us it doesn't serve us and we get eaten up by nothing sometimes. And what I want to advocate is we learn to stop having this mind that says, why is this happening to me? And instead to cultivate a mind that says, right now it's like this, what can I do? Right now it's like this, what can I do? And that's going to serve us better. So enlightenment is our true nature. And so we all have the potential to attain it, all beings. We could say, though, that it's not really about attaining because it's not. It's just seeing through the things that obscure our true nature.
seeing through the things that obscure it. So I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, it'll be really short, I hope. A l centuries ago, on an island, there was this temple, this Buddhist temple, and they had a big, beautiful golden statue. And they actually called their temple the Temple of the Golden Buddha, okay? And one day, news came that the area the temple was in was going to be invaded by another country. It's going to be invaded. And the monks that lived at this temple, they thought, oh, the invaders don't respect Buddhism. They're going to take our, our, our big golden Buddha and they're going to just take it. They're going to melt it down or sell it or something. They're going to want that gold. So they're going to take it and they're going to desecrate it. That's what the monks thought. And some of these monks had been there a very long time. The temple, the statue was well known throughout the area. Actually, people came just to see the statue and then would stay and get Buddha, Buddhist teachings. So it was really meaningful to have that statue there. And this one monk comes up with this idea. He says, well, what if we just cover it in mud and rocks and just really slather that on there so nobody can tell that it's gold underneath? And they think, oh, that might work. So the monks decide they're going to try to completely cover their statue and make it look dirty and gross before the invaders get there. So then the invaders will get there, they'll see this, what they think is a dirty stone statue, and they'll just leave. They'll just leave. And so that's what they did. So all the monks in the temple got together and they just covered their wonderful, beautiful, revered statue in dirt and mud and rocks, and they just did everything they could to make it look bad. And... So these invaders come in, the invaders did come as expected, and they see a dirty stone statue and they just leave. They don't even hurt the monks, they just leave. They think there's nothing worth taking here, so they leave. And of course, we'll never know if they would have taken the gold statue, but I, I tend to think they would have. So then what happens? these invaders are around for a little while, okay? So the monks do not clean off the statue. They do not take care of it. They do not restore it to its former state. They leave it just in case. And what happens is decades go by. Decades go by and so much time passes that those monks that saw the original golden Buddha statue are all gone. Okay. And they don't really talk about it because, again, they don't want people to hear about it and come take the statue. Right. So they don't even really talk about it. So a whole generation passes and there's a new generation and that generation passes and there's another one. Okay. So we are many, many years removed from that statue being uncovered in gold and beautiful. And one day, a young monk is meditating by the statue, and he notices a glint in it. And he goes to investigate. And he sort of wipes away some of the dirt. And he sees that it's gold underneath. And he goes to the assembly, and he goes to all the monks, and he says, Hey, this statue is actually gold. We should try to clean it. 
And so all the monks go and they clean the statue and they get all the mud and the dirt and the rocks off it. And it's just like it was before. It's a beautiful gold statue. The only, the thing that's changed though, is these monks had no idea that they were with a beautiful gold statue the whole time. They had no idea. Now, why, why would I share that story? I'm going to tell you. We are like that. We are like the gold statue. Our true nature underneath is awake, wise, positive, and great. But we are covered in dirt and mud. We are covered in our greed, our obsession with ourselves, our emotional baggage, our delusions, our preconceived ideas even. And sometimes those may not be 100% negative, but we're held back by those. And we're just trying to get the gold underneath too. That is one way that I like to think about enlightenment as our true nature or the awakened heart, bodhicitta, as our true nature. The gold is, the first glint of the gold is the bodhicitta. And I think if we're really paying attention, that mind of awakening, I think we can perceive it in ourselves. It's there. It's our true nature. And because it's our true nature, anyone can cultivate it. Anyone can realize it. No one gets left out. We just have to get our minds right, get our virtue right, and we can pursue finding our true selves. Finding our true selves. So uh, in the book, The Power of Mind, Kentral Lodrote, he goes on to say, to awaken to it, we need the support of this precious human body the condition of a qualified spiritual teacher and the skillful methods of a teacher's advice and guidance on the path. Because we innately possess the ground for awakening, once we have the support, the conditions, and the methods, the results, temporary and ultimate happiness, are ensured. So this is the reminder Everything comes from causes and conditions, even our own awakening. And what we want to do is set the right causes and conditions so our awakening comes. So our awakening comes. And that's, that's what we're doing. We're just trying to line up our situation so it's the most likely to bring us to enlightenment. Or to bring us to great insights and realizations and wisdom. So, um, I'm going to do more to explain what bodhicitta is now. Everything in this mind training practice is founded on bodhicitta. So, it's important. It's sometimes described as profound compassion and wisdom. And I kind of like that because it makes it sound really powerful and important, which it is. And uh, Kentral Lodrote defines bodhicitta as... The consummate, and I quote, the consummate kind heart. It is the ground from which all positive qualities and insights grow. The springboard for our spiritual journey. If we are motivated by the great intention to benefit others, then calm abiding, also known as shamatha, and other forms of meditation will be easily accomplished. And profound insight meditation, or vipassana, 
which is the recognition of true nature, will progress. So, what's he telling us? He's telling us when we get our wisdom right, when we get our wisdom in line, maybe we're not going to struggle so much anymore. And we'll really, we'll really be going somewhere. So, like I said, everything is founded on bodhicitta. So, it's important to us to think about the awakened heart. Bodhicitta. There are generally said to be two qualities of bodhicitta that motivate us, that motivate a Buddhist practitioner in the right way. Okay? Uh, number one is the compassionate wish to help others. And then number two is the wisdom to pursue ultimate perfection. And so some people have some maybe a struggle focusing on the second one, and it's okay to spend a lot of time on the first one. We can always have more compassion in our hearts. I believe that. We can always have more compassion in our hearts. So the, the compassionate wish to help others, that's focused, needs to be focused on all living beings, no exceptions. This is based on the recognition that all beings want happiness and freedom from suffering. We want to strive not to be biased or judgmental. So we may have this in our minds. Yeah, but even that person? What about what about that person, right? We, we could easily come up with reasons why some people don't deserve help. Some people should not be honored with our compassion. We can easily think of that if we try. And what we are called to do is not do that, but rather wish compassion for even, wish to help even the people that we really judge and don't think deserve help. And that second one, wisdom to pursue ultimate perf perfection, well, that is focused on ultimate happiness and freedom from suffering. We want to, to get to that state, we have to sort of, overcome or purify our, our obscurations and hindrances and to realize our true nature, which again is always there. Uh, Kentro Lodrote says, the more wisdom we cultivate, the more we see the need to pursue this ultimate goal and to bring all beings to that state. So as we're going on this path, we sort of see more and more. Um, the Chan Buddhist master Han Shan De Ching, he said, I really like this quote, so I'm bringing it in here. He said, the mountain of wisdom is not like other mountains. The more we climb, the faster we grow. I think that's it. Anyway, that's close. I might, might have butchered, butchered that quote a little bit. But the point is, we can compare this path to like climbing a mountain, except climbing a mountain gets harder and harder. And what Han Shan De Ching said was, well, cultivating wisdom doesn't get harder and harder. Rather, your insights set the table for more insights. So if it's like climbing a mountain, it's like climbing a mountain and finding climbing tools on the way. Like finding climbing tools. So 
one more thing about bodhicitta. Um, bodhi refers to, is usually translated as enlightenment or the state of purification and realization, complete purification and realization. And chitta is translated as the heart mind, the heart mind. And um, I'll, I'll take a moment on that. Uh, they didn't have in the time that this path was being laid out, they didn't really have the awareness we have now of, well, and actually, I don't know if it's totally true, but we think the brain is the seat of consciousness and the heart has nothing to do with consciousness. And in those days, they thought more holistically. They thought the mind and the heart were were both the seat of consciousness. So when they say the heart-mind, well, that's because we're really thinking about both. We're really think, thinking about the consciousness of enlightenment, the state of total purification and realization, okay? And what we want is for bodhicitta to be our motivation, to be our motivation. Our motivation is the awakened heart. And if our motivation isn't bodhicitta, we can get a lot out of meditation, but it's not going to lead us to enlightenment. That's the teaching here. If we're motivated uh, because we want to be really good at our job, if we're motivated because we want to get people to think we're cool, I don't know what else motivates people to do this, but that bodhicitta mot motivation is what takes us to enlightenment. The, the open heart is the whole of the path. And I think we need to remember that. We need to remember that. So um, the old master Atisha said, cultivate a kind heart. That was his main suggestion, cultivate a kind heart. And I think that's a good thing for us to do. Our motivations are often selfish. The motivation of only trying to benefit yourself is a hindrance to spiritual practice and to happiness. And I think we need to keep that in mind. So I'd like to read to you um, a bit of a longer quote from the book, The Power of Mind by Kentrell Lodrote, because I think it's really instructive as an example. Okay, so. And I quote. Thinking only of benefiting ourselves is one of the greatest hindrances to spiritual practice because it prevents us from making progress on the path. Even in worldly affairs, selfishness causes great harm. We can see this play out in every aspect of our lives in ways large and small. When someone is a ruler of a region, for example, and that person is only concerned with their own wants and needs, it results in great harm for the ruler and for the people who live in their country. On an individual level, our thoughts are dominated by what I want and consistently centering our own desires above the needs of others, but we aren't able to accomplish what we truly want. Even when we're healthy and all our natural needs are met, our mind still isn't happy. We might get depressed or angry or jealous. The more we are concerned with ourselves, the more disturbing emotions we have. 
And as our disturbing emotions increase, so too does our suffering. So I really like that. I really thinking about, um, I like thinking about that, that ruler who just only thinks about their selfish desires. And so they're not a very good ruler and they actually um, can harm a lot of people that way. I think we can all, we can all imagine a leader like that, even if we don't have a name to, to attach that to. But if you try, I think you can attach a, a political leader or a business leader that you think is that way, that you think is only motivated by their self-interest and is not trying to help anybody, trying to help anybody. You know, I like to think, um, I feel like we need more statesmen and less politicians. That's, that's all I'm going to say about that. I feel like we need more people who um, are inspired by service rather than accomplishing goals. That's what I have to say about that. So what are disturbing emotions? Our disturbing emotions come from self-clinging. And these are those things that get us off track. Our anger, irritation, greed, lust. These are disturbing emotions. Even, even feelings like I'm not good enough is a disturbing emotion that comes from self-clinging. It's just a different self-clinging, but it's still self-clinging. A person who thinks I'm not good enough is searching for some kind of validation from outside of themselves, right? And that's maybe not uh, something they're going to find. Obsessing about our desires and seeing ourselves as more important than other people does not help us. Does not help us. The way to happiness is by thinking of others. Because if I can take joy in someone else's happiness, then there's no end to the amount of happiness I can have in my life. There's no end. So the question is, can we do that? Can we do that? We want to develop an, a, an intention that is altruistic and a mind that is benevolent. And then we want to act on that. We want to act on that. So again, if we're just only motivated by achieving our own happiness, by having that extra bowl of ice cream, by getting that great car or having that extra zero in our bank account, that's again, beyond our needs. Um, we're going to be suffering. We're going to be suffering. So, Kendra uh, Lodrote, he goes on to say, we need to change our minds and our motivation at the very core, which is the point of these mind training teachings. We need to practice bodhicitta and integrate that view into our experience so that it becomes the basis of everything we do. Bodhicitta and end quote, bodhicitta is that powerful tool that we're using to tame our minds. To develop and strengthen our bodhicitta, we train our minds with formal meditation practice. This is all something we're doing within our minds. It doesn't happen outside of us, and that is empowering. Change is within. Change is within. So, uh, he goes on to say, and I quote, if we meditate again and again and we train in the practice over and over, it eventually becomes our ongoing experience and completely natural. Until that point, we need more training, end quote. Until that point, we need more training. 
So that's, that's what we're doing. We're cultivating compassion. We're cultivating the awakened heart until the awakened heart is just our baseline, a normal thing that is who we are that we don't have to cultivate quite so much. That's it for today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me and have a good day. So today I want to talk about three basic stages for developing compassion, for developing love and compassion, three basic stages. And I'm going to describe what those stages are. And we may just talk about the first one today. We'll see. But the stages are one, equalizing ourselves with others, two, exchanging ourselves with others, and three, cherishing others more than ourselves. And Tonglen is a meditation practice that really helps us do this. And I would argue that metta practice is something that really helps us do this too. And I'll talk more about those practices later. But right now, I want to read to you a passage from The Power of Mind by Kentrell Lodrote. And so I'm just going to read to you this passage. There's, and I quote, there's a simple example used to illustrate the progression from equalizing oneself with others to exchanging oneself with others. Imagine two people walking together on a road. One person is wearing shoes and the other person is barefoot. The person with shoes feels bad for her companion's suffering, so she offers him one of her shoes. Now, each has one foot with a shoe, which is pain-free, and one foot that is bare, which is painful. So their happiness and suffering are equal. If the traveler with the shoes was a practitioner who trained in exchanging her happiness for the suffering of others, she would give both her shoes to the other person and endure the difficulty of walking barefoot by herself. This practice can sound daunting, We might think it sounds too difficult to see others as equally important as ourselves, let alone to hold them as even more important, but it's true. It would be difficult to act like that right now, but that's because it isn't realistic right now. We always train within our capacity. Sometimes when we're doing our best, we may stretch to the limit, but we shouldn't step beyond that point. This practice is meant to be done within our comfort zone, and then with training, our capacity grows. We engage in formal and informal training in bodhicitta, and slowly but surely, we will achieve our ultimate goal. So, we're talking about these things, equalizing ourselves with others, exchanging ourselves with others, and cherishing others more than ourselves, and we have to start with equalizing ourselves and others. That's the foundation. So that is the stage that comes first. We have to learn how to see other people as important, just like we're important. And it's easy to see that intellectually, like, yeah, other people matter. But it's a little bit trickier to really intuitively, to really intuitively live that way. So that's what equalizing ourselves with others, the first stage is about viewing others as just as important as we are. Every person, every being... Every one of us wants happiness and no one wants to suffer. 
from that perspective, we can recognize that we are all, we're all the same. We can hopefully learn how to empathize with other people. Sometimes I like to say uh, we are living life like we're in a burning house together and instead of working together to get out, we're arguing about the furniture or something, right? We get caught up with nonsense and the truth is we're all facing death. We're all getting older. We're all losing things we care about. We're all in this world of suffering together. We are all going to die, all of us. And that could bring us together. That could make us love each other, but it doesn't. Instead, we're torn up. We're torn up by trivial things sometimes. And we push against each other. And we make enemies out of each other and out of the world, out of the whole world sometimes. And when we're training our minds, when we train in equalizing self and others, then we can learn to see that we have so much in common with all other human beings. Everyone has a need to find happiness and freedom from suffering. Everyone has that. And we have a lot more in common with all other people than we have that divides us. That's a, that's a tough thing to think about because the divisions are so focused, so pointed to. So in this way, cultivating empathy leads us to the awakened heart, bodhicitta. Right now, we focus on our own needs and happiness, maybe the needs and happiness of our family and our loved ones, maybe not, and we feel aversion if anything gets in the way of our happiness, even marginally. I have the experience where I'm driving, and I'm pretty irritated if the people in front of me are slow. I'm pretty irritated, and that's aversion. I'm averse to this getting in the way of my, it's not even my happiness. It's just my trying to get through a car ride, you know? I'm averse to that. So I'm going to read to you a quote from The Power of Mind by Kentrel Lodrote that sort of helps us illustrate this. And I quote, How can we hold everyone's welfare in mind without bias? Start by recognizing that everyone wants the same thing. We want happiness for ourselves. That is our first thought in every situation. Then we engage in physical and verbal actions motivated by our desire for happiness. We need to recognize that just as this is the case for us, it is the case for all living beings. With training, we will eventually see there is no difference between our own happiness and the happiness of everyone else. As much as we work for our own happiness, we will work to bring happiness to others. One effective way to train in equalizing ourselves with others is to meditate on the four immeasurables. These are immeasurable love, immeasurable compassion, immeasurable rejoicing, and immeasurable equalness. So the four immeasurables. I usually hear these described as uh, kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. Kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity is the common way to describe the four immeasurables. They are four things. They're called immeasurable because uh, 
there's no there's no limit to how much of these things we can cultivate and no limit to how they can help us. No limit to how they can help us. And so uh, he uses the term love instead of kindness or sometimes loving kindness is used. Um, and he uses the word love instead. And I, I approve of that. And he uses rejoicing instead of joy. That's the same thing. And equalness instead of equanimity. I think equalness, maybe not everybody knows the word equanimity, right? So maybe equalness uh, helps a little bit with just defining the term, helping us understand what it means. So I'm going to talk about each one of these, the four immeasurables. These are, these are things that we, we cultivate that help us to have empathy and to have uh, – general feelings of well-being instead of just getting getting torn up by trivial things as we often do okay so first we're going to talk about i'm going to define the terms in one order and then i'm going to go into detail in another order because that's what he does in the book and that's okay it's no problem so uh first of all love and compassion we would might we might think what's what's the difference okay so when we talk about love which is sometimes again sometimes it's translated as loving kindness and sometimes just kindness and sometimes loving friendliness which i think is maybe the hardest one to wrap our heads around but he just uh kentrell lodrote just keeps it simple and just calls it love okay and what is love in this context love is wanting others to be happy and to have the causes of happiness so if it's immeasurable love and I, um, I prefer the term boundless to immeasurable, but I think a lot of people like the term immeasurable. And that's, and that's fine. That's just my own preference. But love, that word that's getting translated as love or loving kindness is meta, M-E-T-T-A. And you've heard that word, I'm certain. Well, if you've studied Buddhism some, you've heard that word. Why would I say I'm certain like that? If you've studied Buddhism some, you've probably heard the word meta. There's a very famous text called the Metta Sutta, and it's a quality that, that really gets talked about a lot. So that's love. So what's different about compassion? Compassion, while love is wanting people to have happiness and the causes of happiness, compassion is wanting people to suffer less. And these are immeasurable when we're able to extend it to, to everyone. Okay, that's something to keep in mind. These are immeasurable when they're able when we're able to extend it to everyone. So it's easy for me to want myself not to suffer. And it's easy for me to want my wife and my kids not to suffer, right? But when we're talking about immeasurable compassion, we're talking about no one gets left out of our heart here. In boundless compassion, no one gets left out of our heart. We don't want anyone to suffer. Okay. So that's that's something to think about. So Love and compassion, I think, are our true nature, and we can work, work to nourish and strengthen these, and in this way, widen our circle to include more and more people. And that, I almost forgot to tell you, the original word for compassion that we're translating as compassion is karuna, K-A-R-U-N-A, okay? So next, we'll move on to uh, what we're calling rejoicing. The original word is mudita, M-U-D-I-T-A. And I have seen this translated as joy and as sympathetic joy. And I think sympathetic joy just does the most 
if we know what that word sympathetic means, it does the most to explain to us what, what this is. We are talking about taking happiness in the success of others or taking happiness in the happiness of others. And we, I think, all have, we all have some knowledge of this. So when my daughter passed her test to get her learner's permit so she could start practicing driving, I was really happy for her. I was really happy for her. And when my wife got a promotion at work, I was really happy for her, right? And a lot of the time in life, we will say to people, oh, I'm happy for you. But, you know, in the back of our mind somewhere, we're thinking, okay, but where's mine, right? I'd, I'd rather be happy for me. Um, and it takes a lot to admit that even to ourselves, but we think that way sometimes. And it often is only the people we're closest to that we can really be happy for them. So when we're talking about immeasurable rejoicing or immeasurable joy, we're talking about expanding that circle because if I can be happy at any person's success, then there's a lot of happiness I can find in this world. If it can really make me happy when you get a promotion and I don't even know you, well, that's a, that's a big deal. I can find a lot of well-being and happiness there, a whole lot, Right? So finally, uh, immeasurable equalness. And this is usually translated as equanimity. This is actually the first time I've ever seen it translated as equalness. And I think, but I think equalness, that's an okay word to use because a lot of people don't know what equanimity means. And a lot of people like when they see a word like that, they check out. And hopefully equalness doesn't cause them to do that. But the original word we're translating is upeka. It's the hardest one to spell. It's U-P-P-E. K-H-A, Upeka. And so that is where we're practicing to have a calm and even mind. Why? Because things are going to happen. Things are going to happen that will hurt us. And equanimity is that quality that helps us keep it together and not fall apart when things get hard. That is what equanimity is or equalness. That's what it is. So... When we don't get what we want and we freak out or we fixate on it, we're obsessed with it. Well, that's not having equanimity. And so when we talk about immeasurable equanimity, it's a little bit or immeasurable equalness. Um, it's a little bit different from the other three because it's it's facing we want to learn how to face everything, face everything and not fall apart, not get torn up, even when horrifying things happen to us, not get torn up. We want to cultivate that mind, that mind of equanimity, which I define as right now it's like this, what can I do? Right now it's like this, what can I do? Instead of our ordinary thinking, which is when something goes wrong, we think, oh my gosh, why is this happening to me, right? Right now it's like this, what can I do? We can learn how to do that. I believe we can learn how to do that. So I'm going to um, read to you. Some more uh, from the book. I'm going to read to you how, how Kendrell Lodrote defines each of these, okay? And he, the order is usually love, compassion, rejoicing, and equalness. And he has changed the order in here because he thinks equalness is what we really need. 
as a foundation of these other things, okay? So, he says, and I quote, focusing on immeasurable equalness enables us to transform our prejudiced minds, which are attached to some beings and averse to others. If we don't begin to view everyone equally, we won't be able to cultivate immeasurable compassion, love, or rejoicing them. So because of that, he sees this as foundational, and I don't, I don't disagree. We label people, and we believe the labels. Friend, enemy, good person, bad person, fool, wise person, right? These designations, though, these labels don't last forever, but we think they do. First can later be last, you know? An enemy can become a friend. A friend can become an enemy. We have seen this in our lives. And what we want to learn to realize is that all beings deserve our compassion and care. So equalness, uh, Kentrell Lodrote says, and I quote, enables us to transform our prejudiced minds, which are attached to some beings and averse to others. And that's what it can help us to think that way. So here's what he says about immeasurable love. And I quote, it, and I quote, embraces the welfare of all sentient beings whose numbers are uncountable. Its aim is not limited to one situation such as wanting happiness for someone in their relationship or in their job, but wanting them to have complete happiness, temporary and ultimate. That's what it's about. And again, we want to spread that as widely as we can. So on immeasurable compassion, he says, and I quote, to cultivate immeasurable compassion, focusing on the suffering and unhappiness of beings. See how no one wants to suffer and yet everyone is engaging in the causes of suffering. That's what he says about immeasurable compassion. And then on immeasurable rejoicing, he says, and I quote, to cultivate immeasurable rejoicing, focus on the happiness, good fortune, prosperity, and success of others. Be sure to include the causes of happiness too, such as positive actions, virtue, and merit. Since by now we have already embraced the welfare of all beings, and since we already love them, it should be easy to celebrate their good fortune. End quote. So those are the four immeasurables, and that's how he talks about them. And I hope this talk has been helpful. Have a good day. So here are some guided reflections on the four immeasurables. And these come from The, the Power of Mind by Kentrell Lodrote. And I want you to just sit and be quiet and close your eyes and just reflect on these reflections. So, we'll start with immeasurable equalness. Imagine your loved ones to your right, enemies to the left, and all the rest of sentient beings who you don't know in front of you.
Notice the attachment, aversion, and neutrality. Reflect on how attachment and aversion are the sources of all disturbing emotions and harmful actions. And think about the changeable nature of these relationship designations. Relate this to your own experiences and observations of everyone in the world around you. Each time you recognize attachment or aversion in your own or others' minds, make this aspiration. May all beings abide in immeasurable equalness, free from attachment and aversion. May all beings abide in immeasurable equalness, free from attachment and aversion. Let go and rest for a moment before continuing. Then, Shift your focus to different people and classes of beings in order to embrace all beings with this intention until it expands immeasurably in your mind. Next is immeasurable love or immeasurable loving kindness. Again, keep your eyes closed. Start with someone close to you, such as a parent or child, and contemplate how they want happiness, yet often experience unhappiness. Notice what kinds of actions they are taking to produce future happiness. Then, when you see how they lack happiness or the causes for happiness, make the aspiration, may they find happiness and the causes of happiness. May they find happiness and the causes of happiness. Let go and rest for a moment. Then expand your focus to any or all of your other loved ones and repeat, may they find happiness and the causes for happiness. Alternate between different groups of people or species of beings. 
Consider those for whom you feel attachment, aversion, or neutrality. Repeat the aspiration for them. May they find happiness and the causes of happiness. Mentally repeat this for each group of beings until finally you embrace all beings in the universe with the aspiration that they each find happiness and the causes of happiness. Now we'll move to immeasurable compassion. Start with someone close to you, such as their parent or child, and contemplate how each being suffers and creates the causes of suffering. And at each step, until you feel compassion toward each being, make the aspiration. May they be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May they be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. Let go and rest for a moment. Gradually expand your focus until you embrace everyone in the universe with the wish. May all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. And next we'll move on to immeasurable rejoicing. So start with someone close to you, such as a parent or child, And focus on the favorable conditions that people experience. Their positive qualities, good relationships, abundance of food, material wealth, good health, education, success, and opportunities. Don't forget to include their positive actions. Be creative and be specific. The sky is the limit when it comes to rejoicing in the good fortune of others. Shift your focus from specific individuals, then move to groups of people and other beings as with the prior practices. 
With each contemplation, make the aspiration. May they never be separate from such happiness. May their happiness continually increase. May they never be separate from such happiness. May their happiness continually increase. And rest in that for a moment. And now... I want to encourage you to do a dedication of merit. And you can do this or not do it as you wish. But I'm going to do it and I'm going to repeat it slowly so that if you want to do it with me, you can. I dedicate the merit of this practice on the four immeasurables to all beings that they may be freed from suffering and attain both temporary and ultimate happiness. I dedicate the merit of this practice on the four immeasurables to all beings that they may be freed from suffering and attain both temporary and ultimate happiness. May all beings, equal in extent to space, have happiness and the causes of happiness. May they be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May they never be separate from supreme happiness without suffering. May their minds abide continuously in the immeasurable equalness, free from the bias of attachment and aversion. So after these guided meditations in the book, um, Kendra Lodrote, he goes on to talk about how we can practice it informally throughout our day in a section he calls Off the Cushion. And I'm just going to read this to you as well. And I quote, For the informal practice of immeasurable equalness, throughout the day, focus on becoming aware of the attachment and aversion in yourself and others. Notice how, when we are motivated by attachment or aversion, we are more likely to treat others unequally and to produce the causes of suffering for ourselves and others. Each time you notice attachment or aversion, make the aspiration, may they and all beings be free from attachment and aversion. Make the practice more personal and relevant by changing the aspiration that you repeat to make it more specific for each situation you encounter. For the informal practice of immeasurable love throughout the day, focus on how each being in every situation just wants happiness. Notice when they aren't happy or when they are not creating the causes that produce happiness. Each time generate love and kindness, making the aspiration, may they and all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. For the informal practice of immeasurable compassion, Throughout the day, focus on the way in which each being suffers or is engaging in actions that will result in future suffering. Each time you notice this, generate compassion by making the aspiration. May they and all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. 
and for the informal practice of immeasurable rejoicing. Throughout the day, focus on the good fortune that other people experience, especially the qualities and possessions you most admire and desire. When you notice someone else has something positive or is experiencing happiness, rejoice by making the aspiration. May they never be separate from such a happiness. May it always increase. So um, that is it for today. I just wanted to read those readings to you. Thank you and have a good day. So now I would like to talk about the basic stages for developing love and compassion. And I want to talk about the second one and the third one. The first one was equalizing ourselves with others. And maybe that's the easier one for us to grasp. It's where we are learning to intuitively see that other people want happiness and want to avoid suffering just like we do. And everyone has an equal right to want happiness, of course. And that can be sort of easy for us to grasp, I think. If, we, if you really think about it, then you know, like, oh, other people want happiness just like you. We all have many of the same struggles. But um, I'm going to talk about the second and third one, which I think require a little bit more depth. So they are exchanging ourselves with others and cherishing others more than ourselves. Exchanging ourselves with others and cherishing others more than ourselves. So what is exchanging ourselves with others? I think it's, you know... It's that old, like, put yourself in someone else's shoes, you know? And that is a simple method to sort of to work on this. A simple method can be to put real effort into thinking, I am this person and this person is me. And imagining their circumstances and how it would feel to be them. That's the simple way. But I'm going to tell you about a deeper way. And that is called Tonglen Meditation. Tonglen Meditation. And um, it's a Tibetan method. Tong means giving and Len means receiving. So it's giving and receiving meditation. We are aspiring to take on the suffering of others and give them happiness. Take on the suffering of others and give them happiness. And... Um, in the book, The Power of Mind, Kentrell Lodrote says, and I quote, When we give our happiness and its causes because we are motivated by the wish that others find happiness, we are practicing loving kindness. When we take on others' suffering and its causes because we are motivated by the wish to lessen suffering, we are practicing compassion. He says, Tonglen Engages our deeply ingrained habitual tendencies and cultivates the opposite. Tonglen is a major practice in Atisha's teachings, and he, Atisha, was the one of the important founders of mind training in the Tibetan tradition. But it's also a major practice in Shanti Deva's Way of the Bodhisattva and in the Thirty Seven Practices of a Bodhisattva. It's a very common and uh, respected practice. And it's said that many, many people become enlightened through Tonglen. Now, <clears throat> you may wonder, well, wait, is this, is this supposed to be magic? 
because what we're doing is visualizing taking on the suffering of other people and giving them happiness. Does that literally happen? And no. Well, not no, but rather it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because that's not the point. The point of Tonglen practice is to practice adjusting our intention. So when we do the practice, we start to care about others more and obsess about ourselves less. We, want, we start to have love and compassion grow and disturbing emotions decrease. So in that way, it can transform our lives. Uh, someone asked the Dalai Lama once, does, does it really help people? Does it really help another person when you practice Tonglen? And the Dalai Lama wouldn't really answer that. He said, well, it doesn't matter because it helps, it helps you. It does something for you. We're, we're changing our perspective to be wider, to be more other-oriented or more universal rather than just having our perspective about ourselves. So that's what we're talking about here. So, um, the sec- the third one, though, cherishing others more than ourselves, that uh, sounds even heavier. Even heavier. Is that something we can do? Well, that's sort of the goal of this. Well, it's one of the goals of this. And I'm going to read to you <clears throat> I'm going to read to you what uh, Kendra Lodrote says about cherishing ourselves more than others. And I quote, To practice cherishing ourselves more than others, sit in meditation. Then, imagine that you have no self-clinging at all. Envision your mind oriented solely toward other beings without the self-centered mechanism that it normally operates from. Now your mind is other-centered, just like the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas who dive into any of the states of suffering with great enthusiasm in order to benefit others. Then imagine that your body emanates in as many numbers as there are beings in the universe and appears before each and every being throughout the six realms. Imagine that you serve each and every being in any way they need, and in doing so, completely eliminate their suffering. Think that they are free free of all suffering and its causes, and that they have full and complete happiness. So, end quote. So that's what he's saying to do. He's saying, this is where... It gets really big, but he's saying we are not at the point in our practice, even him, where we would just give our life and limb to help a stranger. But what he's encouraging us to do is to imagine that we are there, to imagine what it would be like, and that can help us be motivated and inspired. That can help us. So, um, the Lojong slogans are a set of mind training sort of proverbs and 
our goal is to have these in mind when we need them. So to learn them and sort of internalize them. And there's one about, actually there's several about Tonglen, but I'm going to talk about one of them. And it goes like this. Train in giving and receiving alternately. Do so by riding the breath. Train in giving and receiving alternately. Do so by riding the breath. And that's what we're talking about here. Tonglen practice is called giving and receiving on the breath. And that's what it's called. So here are Tonglen meditation instructions. This I am pulling this from The Power of Mind by Kendrell Lodrote. And it says in the book um, that these instructions are extracted from practice instructions given by Jamyang Kiense Wangpo. Okay? So here are the Tonglen instructions. Uh, go ahead and find your seat. Get comfortable. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Meditate that, imagine that you completely take on all of the suffering and the causes of suffering, negative actions and disturbing emotions of all sentient beings and objects of compassion. Then, meditate on giving all of your happiness in its entirety, including, including the positive actions that are the causes of that happiness to each and every being. This is done using the breath as follows. Visualize that the negativity, obscurations, and suffering of all living beings are gathered together in the form of black light. With each inhalation, breathe in through the nose, imagining that light dissolves into your heart. Think to yourself, through this they are now free of all negativity and suffering forever. Meditate on all of your happiness and its causes whatever positive actions you have accumulated, appearing as white light that shimmers like the moon's rays. With the exhalation of the breath, imagine that this light flows out and dissolves into all beings. Think to yourself, through this, they now have temporary and ultimate happiness.
This practice is done in gradual stages. One, start by bringing to mind one person who has been very kind to you, such as your mother or father. And imagine that he or she is in front of you. Use this person as the object of Tonglen, giving and receiving. Visualize the negativity and obscurations of that person gathered together in the form of black light. With each inhalation, breathe in through the nose, imagining that light dissolves into your heart. Think to yourself, through this, they are now free of all negativity and suffering forever. Meditate on all of your happiness and its causes, whatever positive actions you have accumulated, appearing as white light that shimmers like the moon's rays. With the exhalation of the breath, imagine that this light flows out and dissolves into this person. And think to yourself, through this, they now have temporary and ultimate happiness. Now, bring to mind other loved ones, friends and family. Other people you care about. And visualize the negativity, obscurations, and suffering of these loved ones gathered together in the form of black light. With each inhalation, breathe in through the nose, imagining that light dissolves into your heart. And think... Through this, they are now free of all negativity and suffering forever. Meditate on all of your happiness and its causes, whatever positive actions you have accumulated, appearing as white light that shimmers like the moon's rays. With the exhalation of the breath, Imagine that this light flows out and dissolves into your loved ones. And think, through this, they now have attained temporary and ultimate happiness. And now, 
focus on your adversaries, people you do not like. And if you have no one in your life that you think is an adversary, focus on a famous person or someone, someone you don't know that you don't like, and that will be sufficient. And visualize that the negativity, obscurations, and suffering of this person is gathered together in the form of black light. With each inhalation, breathe in through the nose, imagining that light dissolves into your heart. And think, through this, they are now free of all negativity and suffering forever. Meditate on all your happiness and its causes, whatever positive actions you have accumulated, appearing as white light that shimmers like the moon's rays. With the exhalation of each breath, imagine that this light flows out and dissolves into all beings. Think. Through this, they now have temporary and ultimate happiness. And now I want you to try to think about all sentient beings, all, all people in the world as the focus of your practice. Visualize that the negativity, obscurations, and suffering of all all living beings are gathered together in the form of black light. With each inhalation, breathe in through the nose, imagining that light dissolves into your heart. Think, through this, they are now free of all negativity and suffering forever. Meditate on all of your happiness and its causes, whatever po positive actions you have accumulated, appearing as white light that shimmers like the moon's rays. With the exhalation of the breath, imagine that this light flows out and dissolves into all beings. Think, through this they now have temporary and ultimate happiness. And just sit with this for a few moments. And here, Kentrell Lodrote goes on to say, and I, I really like this ending. It's sort of a dedications type ending and an intention setting ending. After practicing this mind training as much as you can, recite the following advice. When the entire universe and all living beings are filled with negativity, bring all adverse circumstances onto the path of enlightenment. Drive all blame into one and meditate on the kindness of all.
I'm going to read that again. When the entire universe and all living beings are filled with negativity, bring all adverse circumstances onto the path of enlightenment. Drive all blame into one and meditate on the kindness of all. Thank you for taking the time to do this meditation with me and have a good day. Hello, today I want to talk about applying the trainings. Applying the trainings. You see, we are learning all about uh, mindfulness and awareness and awakening and compassion and all these wisdom and all these great things. And what I want to talk about now is how we are how we are manifesting these things in our lives because, you know, it's great to learn about these things and to think about them and to talk about them, but, but we need to learn how to also bring them into our lives. So I'm going to talk about bodhicitta, which is that, that mind of awakening, the, uh, yeah, the awakened heart. And this is where, we're coming from when we're coming from the right place. This is where we're coming from when our hearts are open and our thoughts are clear. And that bodhicitta, that feeling is easily lost when disturbing emotions arise because we aren't used to it. And when we're aware of that, we can be reminded of just how important our our spiritual cultivation is. It's really important. We need to carefully watch our minds in order to stop disturbing emotions from carrying us away because that's what they do, you know. You you start to have a s- disturbing emotion, whether that's greed or anger or f- unreasonable fear or whatever, and it just carries you away. It just takes you to another place, and then you're you're not making good decisions anymore because you're being carried away by that. You're being disturbed by a disturbing emotion. That's why they're called disturbing emotions because they they get in our way, okay? So... We have to learn, we have to learn to pay attention to what we're doing and what our minds are doing, both in and out of our meditation practice. That's what it's about. We have to learn to pay attention both in and out of our meditation practice. You know, it can be, we can come to a point where it's very, I don't want to say easy, but where we don't struggle so much to be mindful when we're sitting in the meditation hall or in the meditation spot of our house or whatever and we're doing a good job being really mindful in that context but then when we leave that context we're not anymore that can easily happen and it happens to a lot of people uh by the way i'll take an aside for a moment to just say i do encourage you to meditate at home and to have a dedicated spot where you meditate at home i do encourage you to do that it sort of uh, greases the wheels a little bit it'll help you as far as um being motivated, being inspired to meditate and also sort of uh, setting up that routine and being this is the place where I meditate. That's going to work on your mind. That's going to help your mind. So in his book, The Power of Mind, Kentro Lodrote says, and I quote, practicing mindfulness is actually subsequent to vigilant guard, which is the awareness of the present moment. Mindfulness is when you remember the teaching and how to, teachings and how to apply them at that moment. To gain skill at this, it's important to study the teachings again and again, to pour over them until they are committed to memory. 
Only then can we remember them when we need them. And so that, when we talk about the mind training teachings, we're talking about little, um, and we're going to go over some of the mind training Lojong slogans today. But what we're talking about is little bite size, little almost sort of, I think of them as spiritual bumper stickers almost, but it's little aphorisms and proverbs that the intention is that they're easy to remember and they stick in our minds when we need them. And we're going to, like I said, we're going to go over a few of those today so that you know what I mean. And these ones, though, the ones we're going to go over today are about, though, bringing our, bringing our spirituality, bringing the teachings, bringing bodhicitta into our day-to-day life because that that is where people get mixed up sometimes. They don't – they have a really – really easy time, you know, going on a retreat and uh, feeling like the retreat is really taking them somewhere spiritually and mentally. And that is, that is all great, but we want to be sure that those lessons are going with us when we leave the retreat. Because, you know, like all this work we're doing is obviously going to mean more if we are able to see improvement in our lives, obviously, right? And we're not meditating to be good meditators and we're not cultivating wisdom just to be wise, but rather we want to learn how to make better decisions in our lives and to make the world a better place and be in harmony with the people around us, right? So so I'm going to talk about one of the Lojong slogans now and you can sort of see what I mean about those. Um, And this one is just... Oh, there's not even any verbs in it. It's not even a sentence. It's just three objects, three poisons, three roots of virtue. Three objects, three poisons, three word, uh, roots of virtue. Now, object, um, this could have been called three nouns. Object uh, refers to the way that we put the things we perceive the objects of our perception into categories. We try to put things into neat little boxes and the things we're talking about is not only the objects rather are not only things, but it's person, place, thing, or situation, any, anything, anything in this context is considered an object. Okay. So, and that when I first read that, I was like, well, People aren't objects, but in this sense, um, you know, the word objectify, we're sort of objectifying people when we put labels like this on them. So I actually do really like that language, although at first I had some questions about it, but we are, we are objectifying a person when we put them in a category. We are, and we know what objectification is and we know it's not good. And we don't think of this as objective. We don't think of judging people as objectifying them, but what if it is right? So Anyway, we take these objects, which again includes people, places, things, and even situations, and we put them in little categories of either good, bad, or neutral, right? Good, bad, or neutral. And those are, those are what we're referring to with the three, three objects. We're referring to the three categories we put objects in, good, bad, or neutral. So that's pretty uh, self-explanatory, I think, but good is going to be the things I like that I want to have around, right? 
And there could be, of course, sub-levels within that. There's going to be really good and a little bit good, of course. And bad, of course, we know what that is. And again, there can be sub-levels of that. There's going to be just really, really horrifying, really bad. And then there's going to be like, that's a little bit annoying, right? And then neutral, neutral is often uh, those things where we don't care enough to have an opinion. We don't care enough to label it. Sometimes it'll be a thing where like you ask yourself, was this good or bad? I don't know. And you put it in the neutral category. But more often, it's just the things that you never, you never care enough to assign a value. You never care enough. So I have neutral feelings toward my mailman because I've never interacted with my mailman, right? That's a neutral object. And we may have a lot more neutral objects than positive and negative. I don't know. But the point is, those are the three categories. So what are poisons and what are roots of virtue? Let's talk about that. So poisons. I'm going to read to you. Kentrell Lodrote defines poisons as the three poisons as our negative emotions, which can be summed up as attachment, aversion, and ignorance. Attachment, aversion, and ignorance. These are considered in our in our tradition, they're considered the root poisons of the mind. So according to this, um essentially everything that can disturb your well-being falls into one of those categories. Attachment, aversion, and ignorance. And they get in our way because, of course, we're too, we get obsessed with our attachments and aversions. And ignorance is sometimes when we don't know the difference. We don't know if we like something or not. That's, that can be ignorance. And these root poisons of our mind, they, they afflict us with negative emotions, disturbing emotions. And we then take those and we get all affected by them and we get all in our, up in our feelings and then we spill those out onto other people and that's how we hurt others. We hurt others because we are dwelling in one of these poisons or sometimes all three, okay? And I think if you look back on your life and you think about where you've made bad choices maybe, you can probably think about how it fits into one or two or all three of these root poisons because that's... I think this is a really um, a really wise way to look at things. And I know when I look back on my past, I can see um, attachment has been a big poison for me. Attachment. And you may struggle more with attachment, more with aversion, or just ignorance. You don't even know what you're struggling with. But we all, we all dwell in these sometimes. And we're trying to get around them. So how do we get around them? I'm glad you asked. The root, three roots of virtue. And that refers to, um, in the book, Kendra Lodrote says, he defines the roots of virtue as the alchemy of transforming poisons into virtuous mental states and positive actions. The alchemy of transforming virtuous mental poisons into virtuous mental states and positive actions. And he goes on to say, by practicing these lojong trainings, we apply a new way of thinking that causes our perceptions to change, 
allowing us to drop our afflictive mental states and adopt a positive frame of mind. So the three roots of virtue are just overcoming those three poisons. That's really what, what we're saying here by learning how to turn our bad feelings into good feelings. Learning how to turn our bad feelings into good feelings. And I have uh, one more thing to say about uh, disturbing emotions, and that is a lot of the time when, when we have disturbing emotions, when we have a feeling that's coming from one of these root poisons, we, we allow ourselves to be carried away. We sort of, we convince ourselves that our anger is righteous or whatever, that we have a good reason to be upset. And because I have a good reason to be upset, therefore I should not resist that. Rather, I should let that carry me away because, because F you, you know, because what's happening is awful. And I think that's, uh, what I want to advocate for is learning how to think about this in another way because because it doesn't serve us to get carried away by our emotions. It's not about that other person. It's about you. Does it serve you? Does it help you to get carried away by your emotions? I know in, in my experience, uh, getting carried away by disturbing emotions has never had a good outcome for me. And your experience may be different, and I acknowledge that, but that's been my my experience. My experience is these these disturbing emotions, they only hurt me. They only hurt me. Okay, I am going to just read to you a passage about putting this practice into action from uh, the power of... Mind by Kendra Lodrote. And I'm just going to read to you this passage because I think it's really, it's really instructive. It's a little bit of guidance. This is called This Practice in Action. And I quote, <clears throat> We rely on disturbing emotions to cultivate our positive potential. To do this, we need to recognize the affliction. When you encounter something or someone that you want, identify the desire with a thought such as this is desire or this is attachment. Second, think about the negative effects of desire. Consider how getting what you want doesn't necessarily bring you happiness and how the more you succeed at getting what you want, the more your desire grows. Our desires are endless and pursuing them is ultimately unfulfilling and leads to dissatisfaction or worse, the pursuit of our desires can lead us to great harm. Bring all this to mind. It isn't necessary to go through a laborious analysis every time a disturbing emotion arises, but we should spend at least a few moments reflecting on the harmfulness of the affliction. This will motivate us to practice. Because we know the deleterious effects of desire, we want to be free from it. Now, the final step is to do Tonglen by recollecting how all beings suffer from desire and generate the compassion that wants them to be free of desire with the thought, may the desire of all beings be gathered here within my experience of desire. By taking it on, may all beings be completely freed from desire and its results. May they never again be afflicted by desire and may they reach ultimate happiness that is free from suffering. 
If we do this, then in that moment of desire, we gave rise to loving loving kindness and compassion for all beings. Instead of focusing on ourselves and what we want, our mind turns toward the welfare of others. So that's just a reflection we can have. And he, he used desire as the example, but any, any emotion that, that has the potential to carry us away can be the emotion we focus on. So I don't want you to get hung up on that. But we can reflect. When we have these kinds of big feelings, we can reflect. And we can just mentally say, is this serving me? Is this, is this going to harm myself or others? We don't usually ref- reflect in that way, but we could. So, uh, when we get a negative or an afflictive emotion, an emotion that's really hurting us, there we have what are said to be three opportunities for practice. And these are, um, sometimes these are called windows for transformation. And these opportunities are um, the times when we can, we can practice, the times when we can deal with this disturbing emotion, okay? Number one is the moment it surfaces, Number two is while it is full-blown, while we're being carried away by the emotion. And number three is after it has subsided. When it surfaces, when it we're getting carried away by it, and then after it's over. And we're trying to get better and better at this. So what we're learning to do is take advantage of whichever window we can, whichever window for transformation we can, as soon as we remember to practice. So at first... We're not going to remember to practice as soon as anger appears in our heart. We're not going to remember to practice right away sometimes. But maybe when we're super upset, then we'll remember. And we may, and in fact, it may feel like a failure um, to remember to transform our negative feelings after they've gone away. But that's that's not a failure because we're still doing the practice. If we're still doing I want to advocate practicing Tonglen for this. And if we're practicing Tonglen, where we visualize ourselves breathing in the suffering of others and breathing out clarity and wisdom, then that sort of set things, sets things in motion in our minds. It uh, strengthens that habit. And that's what this is about. We're building a habit. That habit is showing compassion and kindness to others. And even if, you know, I've already gotten upset and I've already done something I maybe didn't want to do or whatever, I can still reflect and do these practices and still cultivate that habit so that hopefully next time I get after it earlier because I want to get after it earlier, right? If we, once we learn how to practice, the moment a disturbing thought arises, the moment a disturbing feeling arises, sorry, then we are way more likely to succeed at transforming our minds. So, that's what we're trying to build to. We're trying to build to when we start to have a disturbing feeling, we have a gap in our mind where we think, oh, how should I react to this? How should I react to this? Because that's what happens is our disturbing emotions will put us on autopilot and then we're not making decisions anymore. We're just doing things. We're just doing things. And that that can lead us down some dark paths, of course, just doing things and not really thinking about it. Well, yeah, of course that leads to you to making questionable questionable decisions. And 
Uh, we're going to dip our toes in some heavier material for just a second. I want to read to you uh, another passage from The Power of Mind, and I quote, We can also remedy disturbing emotions with the view of ultimate bodhicitta. First, identify the disturbing emotion, then recognize its empty nature and simply allow the mind to settle into that recognition. The essence of the emotion, whether it's attachment, aversion, or ignorance, is empty. And by recognizing this, the emotion resolves of its own accord. Of course, this practice will only work if the practitioner has a good understanding of ultimate bodhicitta. That's a... So that's pretty heavy, but... What we're talking about, um, another way to think about that is, you know, when something happens that leads you to a disturbing feeling, you can take a second and just ask yourself, does this matter? Is this important? Or even like, is this going to matter in 100 years? Is this going to matter in 100 years? Because a lot of the time what we're doing is we are getting torn up by things that are not important, by things that are not important. At least that's, that's been my experience. And I, um, I don't want to talk about my children a lot. My kids will get in arguments and they get in meaningless arguments about things that don't matter. And so they're just getting mad at each other and it doesn't even it doesn't even matter and we all it's not just kids that do that we all do that we all do that so what i say to my kids when they're having that kind of argument i say something can be true and not important something can be true and not important and i really like that saying because we get we got caught up in and things that aren't important and we can get obsessed with people being, you know, people being wrong on the internet. That's a thing a lot of adults get caught up in. I guess kids probably do too now that they're all online. But that's something, you know, somebody's wrong on the internet. I have to do something. Well, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. Um, or most of the time it doesn't help. And that's a thing we do. That's the thing we do. So I want to advocate uh, something can be wrong and not important. And the plan is that we're cultivating this habit for compassion, wisdom, kindness. And the hope is that as we're cultivating this, it is going to become our natural response. And our actions and reactions are going to be formed by these positive habits so that at some point, we're going to realize, oh, I'm, I'm almost always dealing with my disturbing emotions and moving on. And I'm not even trying because it's a habit, okay? But that said, though, it takes a long time to build a habit. And some of us are going to have an easier time than others because some of us are more predisposed towards um, dealing with disturbing emotions. But everyone can do this. Everyone can do this. There's an old saying, um, and I really like it, but I don't know where it comes from. But the old saying is, at first, the practitioner holds the meditation. Later, the meditation holds the practitioner. That 
that just sounds true, right? But that's what we're talking about. At first, you're trying to build the habit, and that's you holding the meditation. You're trying to build the habit, and we're coming back to it again and again. But later, maybe that habit's just going to be there. And the habit, is the habit going to build you? Yeah, the habit is going to lead you to other good habits. So that's where we're trying to get. And uh, so that was three objects, three poisons, and three roots of virtue. But I'm going to go through another Lojong slogan. And these are called slogans, by the way. And this one is, train using sayings during all activities. Train using sayings during all activities. And we want to, of course, take these with us, right? As I said earlier. So... He's saying, like, we can, we can bring this to mind anytime. We can bring this to mind anytime. So he's, he describes it as, and I quote, another way to train is to, is to use the words and statements of Tonglen throughout the day. May all beings be happy. May all beings be free. It's a powerful thought. But to say it at any given moment is transformative. To say it at any given moment is transformative. So if we take a moment to do this, it interrupts our self-clinging. It interrupts our self-clinging. And I, in my mind, these aren't, these are meta, I'm getting in the weeds now, maybe I don't need to, but these are meta statements and not Tonglen statements to me. But um, Tonglen and meta are styles of meditation that are similar, similar, um, I actually think that when Tonglen meditation was first formed, uh, maybe the people that that thought of it were were reflecting on metta meditation. But that that um, that that uh, is an aside. That doesn't really matter. But the point is that you know when I start to feel really selfish, or when I start to get upset or annoyed. I can just recite this to myself. May all beings be happy. May all beings be free. Mentally, like a mantra. It, it, I mean, it is a mantra. And I can keep that in mind. And also, I can also do that if I'm bored. May all beings be happy. May all beings be free. I can do that when I'm walking from my car to my desk at work, which is quite a long walk, actually. I can just be reflecting on that over and over on my way. Especially if I'm struggling, may all beings be happy, may all beings be free, may all beings be happy, may all beings be free. And that might sound kind of silly, but that, that is how we're building, we're building those habits, we're building those neural pathways in our brains by just, just uh, awakening this intention over and over. Awakening this. Um, Lojong, or mind training, is all about positive reinforcement and building confidence and our disturbing emotions through these practices, our disturbing emotions can be replaced by love, compassion, wisdom, and other positive mental states. And this inspires us to go further in the mind training. You know, obviously it does, you know, it's in the same way working out at the gym. If you start building muscle, it inspires you to keep at it, right? And if you feel like it's going nowhere, then it maybe doesn't inspire you as much, right? Okay. So we're going to do one more. And this one is, again, this is another Lojong 
statement, Lo Zhang slogan, mind training statement. Start by accepting your own suffering. So Lo Zhang is about, um, not Lo Zhang, Tonglen is about imagining we're taking on the suffering of others, striving to take on the suffering of others. And we first have to accept our own suffering. Have to accept our own suffering. And um, gosh, when I think of this, I sometimes think of uh, like confessing your faults. And by that, I don't mean confessing to another person, but just confessing to ourselves because we're not very honest with ourselves about our faults a lot of the time, right? And so I think of just confessing that to ourselves. But here is, I'm going to read to you um, a passage about what Kentro Lodrote has to say about accepting our own suffering. I think this is a really good passage from the book. And again, this book is The Power of Mind. He says, and I quote, Bring to mind all of the negative thoughts and actions that you have ever engaged in. Not just in this life, but in past lives as well. All of these have caused suffering or will cause suffering in the future. Some of that suffering created by past negative actions will ripen through rebirth into less fortunate realms. Think, may that suffering ripen on me right now in this life. Through this power, may it not become future suffering. Then, consider the suffering created by past negative actions that will ripen in this life. Think, May it ripen on me this year. Next, consider the suffering that will ripen this year and think, may it ripen on me this month. And then, whatever suffering will ripen this month, may it ripen on me today. And finally, whatever suffering is going to ripen into experience today, may it ripen on me this very second. And he goes on to say, since we have already accumulated the causes and conditions of suffering, we might as well accept it. It is inevitable that suffering will come sooner or later. This also gives us courage and helps us release fear and aversion, hence reducing how much we suffer over it. So he's saying, if we accept the consequences of our actions, maybe the consequences of our actions don't tear us up so much. Maybe they don't. And again, if we give in to disturbing emotions, if we harm other people, if we practice disvirtue and disharmony, we're going to see consequences for that. We're going to see consequences for that. And we are going to think we can avoid those consequences forever. Or we maybe never even think about the consequences, but you can't get away from what you've done. So we may as well wish, accept our suffering, accept the suffering that's going to come our way and wish to get it over with. This is sort of an intention setting thing. So here are some reflections on applying the trainings, applying the trainings, some reflections on applying the trainings. And this is a passage from the book, The Power of Mind, that I'm going to read to you. This is like some guidance, okay? 
Throughout the day, and I quote, Throughout the day, remember to do informal Tonglen whenever you can by practicing the three objects, three poisons, and three roots of virtue. Use sayings during activities and occasionally start by accepting your own suffering. You can do Tonglen in any moment in relation to your situation or someone else's. If you see a person or animal with an injury, such as a broken foot, you can think, May the suffering of having a broken limb and likewise the pain of all beings with broken bones be gathered into me. Through this power, may they and all beings be free from such pain. Or you could use a simpler version. May they and all beings be free from such pain. For another example, if you stub your toe, think, may I take on the suffering of all stubbed toes so that no being ever need experience this. Be creative in your phrasing by making it personal and even funny if you like. Do Tonglen for positive experiences as well. For instance, if you have a delicious meal, think, may all beings have such an abundance of good food. If you have a nice home, think, may everyone have a beautiful and safe place to live. There are limitless situations and ways to practice this. Any time you are aware of a disturbing emotion arising, use this opportunity to practice with the three objects to transform the three poisons into the three roots of virtue. Randomly throughout the day, say to yourself, may all beings be happy, may all beings be free, or I give all profit and gain to others, and I take all loss and blame upon myself. And occasionally, when you feel resistance to something challenging, start by accepting your own suffering. Following any of these kindness and compassion practices, you can also bring to mind the wisdom aspect, remembering everything is like a dream or an illusion. Then, allow your mind to rest for a moment within this recollection. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me today, and have a good day. Thank you for listening and have a good day.